0: Which is part of the media Ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruiz.
1: We are in Ephesians. Ephesians. and last time in Ephesians, We talked about what it means to walk wise. Paul has been telling us ever since we got into chapter 4 how we are to walk this Christian life out. Now that God has done all that he's done for us, how now shall we live? And he uses this phrase, to walk this way, walk this way, walk this way, several times, four or five times we've already seen now. He's told us to walk worthy, walk not like you used to walk as a Gentile, Walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom, and now today I really want to highlight the fact that he's essentially going to tell us to walk in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. Let me give you a little bit of a review where we were, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15, he says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Literally, you might say, be on point with your Christian walk, be specific, be aimed, be targeted. Don't just float, don't walk haphazardly, walk sharply. Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but men who are wise. Be smart about how you walk, in other words. And what does that mean? Verse 16, to be smart about how you walk and to be aimed to be targeted in your walk means, verse 16, to make the most of the times, it could be translated, as I told you last time, redeeming the times, redeeming the season, redeeming the age. It's the word not chronos, where we get chronology, a daily order of time, but kairos. It's the season of time. Redeem the, you might say, the age that we're in. What age are we in? We're in an age of grace, we're in that parentheses from God's ascension to his return. Where grace has been extended, not just through Israel, but now through us, the Gentile, the church, those who've been engrafted in, he's using us to extend grace. And so he's pressed, pressed pause on his plan. You might you might think of it this way. And before he now judges us, before he comes back and makes all things right, he said, okay, take grace to the world. Be my disciples, be my witnesses around the world from here to there. From where you live all the way around the world, I'm going to give you time. Second Peter says that God is not slow about his promise. In context, it's his promise to judge and make everything right. You wonder sometimes, why doesn't God just come back and make all this messed up stuff right The answer is, 2 Peter 3, 9, and 10, I think the verse is, that God's not slow about his promise to come back and judge the world and make all things right, but it says specifically that his desire is that none of us would perish, but that we might all come to repentance. And Peter says, God is being patient towards us. So if you get a picture of God right now in this season that we're in, he's, in a sense, restraining himself. He's He slid back on his throne, or I like to get the idea that he's on the very edge of his throne, and he's ready to come back, and he's ready to make all things right, and he's ready to redeem this world and set up his kingdom, but he's being patient because the bad news with the good news of his coming back again is is that sin will be judged. Your sin, my sin, and unless we're covered by the blood, then we have to stand on our own, right? Right? And so what season are we in? We're in a season of grace where God has said, I'll give you time. Take this message to as many as you can. Get them under the blood. Get them under the cross. Get them under Christ, in Christ, so that when judgment falls, they'll be protected. That's the season that we're in. And so when Paul says, don't be be unwise, walk carefully now the remaining of your days be on point. What do you mean, Paul? What I mean is to be wise in your days, walking this thing out carefully means that you redeem the age. Remember what I told you redeem means? It means to buy back out of the market. Ex agorazo. Agorazo is the market. Ex is to take out. It's, it's a picture of our salvation, that, that God came through the blood of Christ and he purchased us out of our slavery that he comes to market and he buys us back. That's what the word redeeming means. He's redeemed us. We're to, in much the same way, redeem the time that we have. We're to go into a dark world and we're to bring those who are sold into slavery under the blood of Christ so that they are free in Christ. So the judgment won't fall there. How do we walk wise? We redeem the time. Because the days are evil. You know that to be true. Verse 17, so then, do not be foolish. He's going to take it a step further. But understand what the will of the Lord is. To be foolish means that you know what the will of the Lord is, but you act like you don't understand it. You, you don't respond. You don't walk carefully. It's a picture of somebody who, who's heard the truth. You, you understand what the will of God is, but you're not doing it. That would be, in Paul's mind, a fool. Don't Don't be foolish. Understand, but not just in a, in a way that means cognitively, but understand in a way that, that, that translates it into your life so that you're redeeming the times. Don't be unwise. Don't be a fool. I mean, imagine a world that looks at us and we say what we say we believe, but then we do nothing about it. We don't do any work to redeem the age that we live in. We would look like fools. We would look like fools. Maybe we could ask the question in our own hearts, how often do we look foolish? How often do we then look unwise instead of wise? How often do we look like we don't even know what the will of the Lord is? How often do we, we look in our life like we don't even understand the time that we live in? We don't understand that there's a judgment to come. We don't understand that if we are not under the blood, then, then we answer for our own sins. I mean, is that what our life looks like? If so, but we're saying another thing, then we, we look as if we're fools, right? That's where he's going. And then he took a turn on us, didn't he? Verse 18, he says something that to me seems kind of odd. And do not get drunk with wine. And so he goes from these kind of grand ideas to, hey, man, don't be going and getting drunk. What is he doing here? Where is he going? Why, why go to this topic? Remember what we said? To not get drunk with wine, I think it's more than an admonition that you not be a drunkard. Okay, It's more than an admonition that you not be a drunkard, Christian. But that your life not be one that is falling all over itself. Your life needs to be careful. Your life needs to be ordered. Your words shouldn't be mixed. Your words shouldn't be jumbled. Your steps shouldn't be misguided. Picture the drunkard stumbling all over himself. No sure steps. That, that shouldn't be our life. That'd be foolish. That'd be unwise based on what we know to be the will of the Lord, based on what we know about the season in which we live. We're not to be like that. Our lives as Christians aren't to look like that. It's more than just an admonition not to be. Although that's, that's true, right, in Scripture. But, but think, think bigger here. Think according to the context and the principle here. We are to order our steps. Our life shouldn't resemble the drunkard, but that a man or a woman who is, what is the phrase he uses next? Filled with the spirit. Filled with the spirit. The inference then is that to be wise, to be something other than foolish, you need to be pointed, directed, intentional, aimed at something. Instead of being confused, we should be clear particularly on what the will of the Lord is, verse 17, specifically regarding the season that we live in, a season of grace that will come to an end when God judges us in his righteousness. So here's the picture. Instead of stumbling like a drunkard through this life, Christian, we need to be filled or controlled or directed or pointed by who? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the parallel he's drawing here. Um, Now, last time I spoke a little bit about what this key phrase, to be filled with the Spirit, spoke a little bit about what it does and doesn't mean. And I want to give you a little more this morning because I think it's crucial. I think it's kind of a turning phrase for the rest of Paul's letter here. I told you that it's only used here between Romans and Revelation. This is the only use of it. I also told you that in the Gospels, it's only used once by my research, and that's in Luke. And it's for a description of John the Baptist and who and what he would be as a forerunner to Christ, specifically that he would be a witness to Christ's coming. He would be that verbal testimony to the coming grace in Christ. Uh, It was used a handful of times in Acts And in Acts, it's always attached to the testimony and witness of the saints. So here was the point. Being filled with the Spirit, whatever that might mean, all right, in its totality, has absolutely everything to do with being a verbal witness to God's saving grace in Christ. Being filled with the Spirit isn't just a benefit for you, all right? Hear me. Being filled with the Spirit isn't just, and I might even dare say, it's not even primarily a benefit for you. Being filled with the Spirit has to do with all of us. Being filled with the Spirit has this greater context of the one another of the church and those who might be on looking. The lost. Being filled with the Spirit is to be a benefit of all those around us. Uh, Let me add a little more to the meaning of this phrase. There is a, a, a parallel in this context there's a parallel comparison, and there's also a parallel contrast going on here. Instead of being what we would call under the influence, right? You've heard this, this phrase used in being uh, under the influence of alcohol. Instead of being under the influence of alcohol, we are to be now under the influence of the Spirit of God, all right? You see that parallel comparison? As a comparison, this means that you're still under the influence, but now you're under the influence of something new. Pretty simple, Right? Something new now controls you. Uh, You remember in Acts 2, if you're looking for maybe a passage to refer to, to help understand this, in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit falls, um, the disciples begin to preach, and many who heard from different languages began to hear the message of grace through the disciples. And it was an amazing situation you remember how the story goes, that those who were surrounding, who kind of were hearing what was going on, looked at the disciples and they were kind of mocking and saying, what are, these guys must be what? Drunk, right? These guys, they've been, they've been tipping the bottle. And you remember what Peter says? It's kind of funny what Peter comes back to them and says. He says, no, that's not in fact what's going on. And uh, I kind of chuckle when he says, man, it's only nine in the morning. That's a whole other message for another day. But that can't be what's going on here is is Peter's idea. It's only nine in the morning. Here's the point. There are, I would admit, some parallels to be drawn between being drunk and being filled with the Spirit. There you go. I said it. There are. There are some parallel comparisons. In other words, strange and surprising things might just happen when you're under the influence of the Spirit. I mean, it's not my analogy, it's it's Scripture's analogy. It got me thinking, um, and I just think weird things sometimes, but it got me thinking, you know, this idea of being filled with the Spirit or being under the influence of the spirit or being under the influence of alcohol, you know, as Paul draws this comparison, I had to ask the question, like, could those two things happen at the same time in any way? And somebody had sent me this YouTube video. Maybe you've seen it, but this guy shows up to a funeral and this may be the closest thing I've seen to being under the influence of both the spirit and wine. Put that up, Mike. Let's, uh, let's watch a couple seconds of this. Maybe you've, maybe you've seen this guy before. amazing,
0: amazing grace how sweet the sound <laughs> <laughs> Oh, amazing great. I want people to sing with me too Oh, i want someone to sing with me too amazing grace how sweet
1: there. They're gone. (laughs) This goes on for about three minutes there. Scrub it forward for us, Mike. Give us the last few seconds here. He, uh, He gets some help from the guys backing him up. Instead of letting them help, he gets louder. It's a tough day filled with the spirit and under the influence of a couple other things. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Uh, here's another guy. Put this other guy up here, uh, Mike. Here's another guy who might be under the influence of something. That guy right there. Yeah, look at that guy. Yeah, I'm just kidding about those guys. A couple, uh, that was our uh, Christmas children's program commercial that uh, <laughs> that Ricky put together. That was supposed to be what that was supposed to be an audition for the Christmas play right there. None of those guys make it, right? <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying that elder Vic was uh, under any sort of influence. That's just actually how he dances. <laughs> I don't think you could combine those, right? Uh, on a serious note, though, I have, a, I have a dear friend who is fond of uh, warning me that if I pray for the Spirit to move in our congregation, that, uh, Pastor, you need to be ready because surprising and perhaps strange things could happen. And to that I say, amen. That is, that is true. Being under the influence of the Spirit does mean that I or you may not be in complete control of what happens. And that's, that's part of the analogy, part of it. I think that parallel is in Scripture. But I think there is also a strong, not comparison, but contrast here in our text. And it's a contrast drawn that I think we've got to grasp as well. To be filled with the Spirit seems to imply a more controlled and intentional, pointed, directed, careful, aimed life in this context. Being filled with the Spirit isn't about confusion. It's about clarity for Paul right here. So there's a contrast in the analogy. Some equate, listen to me now, being filled with the Spirit, with an experience or a power that overcomes or overwhelms a person, mentally sometimes, emotionally sometimes, and even sometimes physically. And maybe this results in crying, laughing, shouting, falling down, shouting out, speaking in a tongue, making drunken-like noises even. While we might leave room for some of this, Paul seems to major on the sobering effects being filled with the Spirit. There's a sobriety that the Spirit brings in this passage. Being filled with the Spirit seems to be a very practical as opposed to a fanciful idea. This is the transition phrase, I think, for the rest of the passage. And here's why that's important. Because the rest of this letter gets very practical he's going to talk about being wives he's going to talk about being husbands he's going to talk about being children he's going to be talking about employees he's going to talk about employers he's going to get to the nuts and bolts of how we walk out this life and then he's going to at the very end say now put on this armor because it's not going to be easy any of it very practical is the direction paul goes from saying be filled with the spirit Nothing really mystical or even charismatic about how Paul explains walking in the Spirit from here to the end of the letter. A couple other points I want to make about what it means to be filled with the Spirit right here. Um, Paul gives this as a command. Be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. Now, here's why that is important. It must be something, therefore, that you and I can do. You can't command an emotion or an experience. You can only command something that can be done. You can't command an emotion or an experience to be fostered. It'd be false. So the fact that this is a command infers that it's something that we can take part in practically making happen. Being filled with the Spirit seems to have everything to do with our submissiveness big word, submissiveness, and our obedience to God and his will. Know what the will of the Lord is. Don't be foolish. Be wise. Be careful with your walk. Everyone who is born again receives the Spirit and is sealed by the Spirit. He's already said this in this very letter, Ephesians 2. We are sealed by the Spirit. We have the Spirit from the point of our salvation to the point where we meet Christ. He never leaves us. Every Christian, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. When you are born again, you receive the Spirit and you are sealed by the Spirit. The Spirit is a deposit God makes into your life and it is a guarantee unto redemption, amen? That's part of the role of the Spirit. It's a guarantee deposited in you there is no such thing as a Christian who does not have the Spirit. Let me say that again. There's no such thing as a Christian who does not have the Spirit. Now, we are, however, commanded to keep in step with the Spirit. It is true that by not obeying the Spirit, we can grieve the Spirit that resides within us. We can thwart His work through us. Can we do that? Amen, we do that. In our disobedience, we can do that. All Christians have the Spirit. This is not a command by Paul to receive the Spirit, Christian. This is a command to obey the Spirit that resides within, to be careful, to be wise, to not be foolish, to know what the will of the Lord is. It's, it's a matter of obedience to the Spirit. So what does it look like? What are we commanded then to do, Paul? In the uh, last few verses of this section, 19 through 21, he's going to give us four practical char- characteristics of being filled with the Spirit. And uh, I'm not going to go into these. After this series on Ephesians, I'm going to do a, a series on worship and Most likely come back to this and unpack it more. Here are the four things that Paul and divine inspiration we get after Paul says, Be filled with the Spirit. here's Here's where he goes. All right. Number one, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Two, sing and make melody with your heart to the Lord. Three, always giving thanks for all things. There should be a gratitude for those who are filled with the Spirit. Always all things. There's just this inherent gratitude that comes with being filled with the Spirit. By obeying the Spirit, gratitude just bubbles out of our life. Number four, we find that we are to be subject to one another. Now, are you noticing a theme, if you've you've been walking through Ephesians with us, have you noticed kind of just this underlying theme in the heart and the mind of the Apostle Paul and, therefore, the divine author? That This thing is not just about you, and it's not just about me. Paul, in this letter to the church at Ephesus, gives this great treaty on what what the church is supposed to look like based on what God has done. Here's what we look like. Here's just some nuts and bolts and ever since he turned that corner, starting in chapter 4, to here's what you walk this thing out like, have you noticed a theme? It, it all seems to be tied back to this concept of guarding the unity of this body, this church. It's about the one another's. It's not just about the me or the you. And this seems to me to be kind of a bookend right here for that whole theme. Be subject to one another. And then he's going to turn to husbands, and then he's going to turn to wives, and then he's going to turn to children, and he's going to unpack that end of the book. <laughs> what does it mean to be subject? Well, do this, husbands. Wives, consider these things. Children, he, here's, a, here's a brief explanation on how you were to respond to this. Employers, employees, that's where he's going to go back to the one another, back to the can you and I work this thing out that's called church? Not this building, but the you and the me's and the uses. Can we figure this out? Are we going to being filled with the spirit as a command? Are we going to figure out what it means to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? Does that mean like I gotta, I gotta go over to Jeff and start singing it to him? You gotta figure that out. I don't think that's what it means. Are you going to think on what it means to make melody in your heart? I mean, it's not just with your lips, but this is this is a heart thing. This is a depth thing. What does it mean to make melody sing in and with my heart to the Lord? What does it, what does it do when being filled with the Spirit creates people who are always and in everything giving thanks unto the Lord? And not grumbling, not complaining, not looking for how we can tear each other down. What does it look like when we we grasp this concept of being subject to one another in, mind you, the last phrase of 21, in the fear of Christ, with that humility in mind? Do you think that changes what this looks like? and therefore what they see out there. I think it does. This letter to the church at Ephesus, it's a, it's a short letter by comparison, but it's huge. It's huge. Are you starting to get the idea that, that church is not just about what we do in here? It's not even primarily about what we do in here. Not in the context of the church being these four walls. Do not be fooled. You, we, we are the church, and not just when we're here, but we're the church going there. Pray with me, Lord. We want to walk in all these ways. We want to we want walk worthy of the calling. We want to walk worthy of the grace that you have extended to us. We want to we want to change, Lord. We want to be. Sanctified, we don't want to be who we were, Father. We we want to walk out our sanctification in renewal every day. We want to walk in love towards each other. We want to walk in the light. Nothing hidden, Father. We want to walk in great wisdom. Holy Spirit, fill us. Through our obedience, would you have your way in our life? As we walk carefully, as we walk pointed, Not stumbling about over our life. Not just floating down the river of life, making decisions as they come or allowing decisions to be made for us that would point us in this direction or that direction. Father, we being filled with the Spirit, we let Him have the influence in our life. We let Him have the control. We let Him point the ship that is our life, the remaining of our days. We'll be sober-minded. We'll be sure-footed. We'll seek to know what the will of the Lord is. We'll we'll go to your word. We'll beseech you in prayer. And we'll understand, Father, that being filled with the Spirit, it's not just about us. It's It's about those who are watching To see if we're going to live wise or foolish based on what we claim is the will of the Lord that we have followed. Holy Spirit, thank you for for being our seal, our comforter. Through repentance, through faithfulness and obedience. Adherence to your word, Holy Spirit, we seek to get out of your way so that you can live the life of Christ out through us and in us. Be not grieved in the lives of any who call this church, this cornerstone home. We give you full rule, full reign in our lives. Make us the church. Show us that we together, going from this place, not just in this place, are the church. and Fill us with the power of the Spirit so that we are effective witnesses of the one who came before us and gave his life for the redemption of many. All who would put their faith and trust under the blood Father, that's us, and we love you for first loving us. We pray in Jesus' name, who is the cornerstone. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand?
0: We're getting more and more confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth, though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go, hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now, because you are the church. Now go and be the church.
1: We're dismissed. Go be the church.
0: Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.